Hi everyone, my name is Dominique. And I'm Adriana. And, and we, we are Survivor Sisters. Survivor Sisters is a podcast and organization that shares the stories of sexual assault survivors on college campuses to educate, empower, and inspire other survivors and their peers to take action against sexual assault. Today, for our episode two, we are sharing the story of Summer McSpirit, who is a two-time sexual assault survivor from Rutgers University. She currently works at YWCA Northern New Jersey Healing Space, which is Bergen County's only sexual violence resource center. She also owns her business, McSpirituality, which offers tarot readings and Reiki healing services. And with that, we're going to toss it over to Summer to introduce herself a little bit more and share her story. Hi everybody, my name is Summer McSpirit. I guess my story begins really at my very first night at Rutgers University. So I became a freshman here in 2015. I showed up on August 28th. It was my very first night here. And I ended up, I was living in Livingston in the Towers. Met up with a couple friends, met some people on on the floor. And a friend from home actually reached out to me and said, that her boyfriend who went to our high school was sitting in his dorm and he was like really lonely that night and he hadn't made any friends yet so my friend wanted to know if I would reach out to him and hang out with him and just kind of keep him occupied so we were friendly I had known this kid since like literally second grade Mm -hmm. and I was like yeah absolutely I don't mind inviting him around whatever um so I reached out to him I asked him if he wanted to come out with me. He ended up meeting up with me and all my friends at the dorm, and we went to a party on College Ave. It was just like wherever everybody happened to be going that night. I met him there, and I had already started drinking before he got there, and I was like pretty drunk. It was, you know, my first night. I was like going crazy, like Mm, didn't know my limits. Um, And I remember that he showed up to the party with another friend from my high school, and at some point in time, I don't know when, but at some point in time, he started kind of hitting on me. And I was like, hey, listen, I invited you here because your, like, ex-girlfriend, who you're still very close with, who I'm still very close with, asked me to do this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not interested in you whatsoever that way. I love you as a friend. Like, let's just hang out. Let's have a good time. Um, And I really tried to, like, push him off. And I actually said something to the girls, like, my roommate and my floor mate at that point in time. And I was like, I know I don't know you guys that well, but, like, I'm kind of uncomfortable right now. I just want to make you aware. Mm -hmm. So I blacked out. I don't remember anything from that night, like getting home, none of it. Um, I just remember I woke up in the dorm the next day and he was in my bed and I didn't have pants on. Um, And I kind of woke up and I was like really surprised because obviously I knew at some point in the night I had said to this kid, like, I'm not interested. Stop Mm -hmm. trying to make any kind of advances. So he kind of just like got up and left it was like really awkward uh I found a used condom under my bed later that yeah um so I found the condom and I really really beat myself up for like a couple days didn't want to talk to anybody I just kind of sat around crying because like this kid was you know like there was this whole situation with this friend of mine and I felt so awful like she was going to be so upset with me and I didn't put two and two together that like this was not consensual so I opened up to a friend from home kind of told her about the whole thing and she's like Summer if you said no at some point in the night like and then you were drinking like this was coercion this wasn't consensual sex Mm -hmm. so that's when it started to hit me and I started looking into the policies on Rutgers like the VPVA website Mm -hmm. so I was reading about you know really the definition of consensual sex and I was like wow I was hammered there was no consent in this situation I started to freak out a little bit I ended up calling VPVA and they set up a rape kit uh, collection for me at the hospital so my mom came we went to the hospital I went through the whole experience which I know as you talked about in the last episode is like it's a very traumatizing re-traumatizing experience having to go through that and have somebody swab you and take pictures of you yeah very traumatizing can you talk a little bit more about what you had done in the rape kit because I know with me like the options were like some of the things I didn't have to go through with like did they STD test you did they take the photos did they notify the police and were you questioned so I agreed to have VPVA send an advocate with me um and I you know The SART team, the sexual assault response team, is made of of the advocate, the SANE nurse, and the police. 
So I knew that I had the choice to just get the kit collected and not go through with it and then have the five-year hold. And that's really why I went ahead and I just decided to get this kit collected just to have the evidence there if I wanted it. At that point in time, I had absolutely no intentions of speaking out about this, Mm -hmm. of pressing charges. I was still dealing with like a lot of guilt from the whole situation, but I just knew that I wanted to be able to have that option later on down the road. So I had the pictures taken, I did the swabbing, um, I took the prophylaxis for STDs so they give you all the medications so that you don't contract anything, which is awful in and of itself because it makes you really sick. But yeah, it was just a long, lengthy, like hours long process. And what happened was when it was finished, I ended up texting this kid and I said, hey, I know we haven't spoken since last weekend. I just want to let you know that whatever happened between us was not consensual like I was so drunk that I don't remember what happened and I don't want to talk to you from now on like I would really appreciate it if you would just respect my space right now I'm trying to figure this out and he responded and he was like oh my god please don't do this this could ruin my life and my reputation like didn't say anything I mean he he apologized he was like I'm sorry if you felt that way or if I made you uncomfortable but Mm -hmm. it wasn't like it's not genuine yeah yeah so At that point in time, I started getting texts from the girlfriend. And I want to preface this by saying, like, if she happens to hear this, like, we have had many conversations after the fact. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I totally understand where her reactions were coming from. Because if somebody that I cared about had done something like this and I heard about it, I I probably would have reacted in a very angry way, too. Um, So I don't, like, resent her in any way whatsoever Mm -hmm. for what happened. But it's it is an important part of the story Mm -hmm. um and so she reached out to me and she was like I need details what's going on and I was like I really just don't want to talk to anybody about this while it's you know while I'm still trying to figure out everything so she told me that I was a rapist and that I was a murderer because he was planning his own suicide at that point in time and it was my fault and I freaked out I was like I don't want this on my chest like I don't need this responsibility of trying to figure out if I'm going to go through with this and now like I have to worry about whether or not this kid's going to kill himself because of how I feel right now so I called Rutgers police immediately and I said hey listen this is the situation I I just want to let you know this kid is going to kill himself apparently please go check on him they found him playing basketball on Douglas like totally fine (laughs) um but at that point in time the police officer came to my dorm and he was like so why was this kid gonna do this and I had to explain at that point in time because he sexually assaulted me so it was really at that point in time like I, I was kind of forced into reporting it and at that point I was so angry with him that I was like fuck this I'm gonna report it you know you're gonna make me feel even further traumatized like trying to deal with your crazy emotions now like Mm -hmm. we're putting an end to this I'm gonna try and take all the action that I can so I made the report at that point in time I also filed a report with VPVA and I went through the school's formal hearing process so the police case didn't go anywhere I ended up going down to SVU at some point in time and I did make a statement there but that's about as far as it got because what it came down to was like like you guys were saying in the last episode, the rape kit proves that you had sex with somebody, but not that it was non-consensual. So it was a matter exactly. of he said, she said, yeah, and yeah. he said that it was fine, that I was sober enough, that it was consensual. And, you know, him admitting to having sex with me was enough for them to be like, oh, well, you know, it seems like he's telling the truth because if this didn't happen, like he would totally lie about having sex with her to begin with. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, So I went through the school hearing, and I had a few witnesses there, Um, somebody from the party, those girlfriends from my floor, and he brought in, like, all these character witnesses, or I shouldn't say all these character witnesses, but he brought two people from my high school to come in and, like, try and talk about me, and they actually, like, ended up saying some pretty awful things about me, like, about my... Yeah. They let them speak about you? They let your character, even though it was his character witnesses? My experience with the Rutgers hearing, like the Title IX office, was horrendous. I love VPVA, and they did an amazing yeah. job helping me move through the process, but 
the process is supposed to take 90 days or less. That's written in the school policy. And I know that for both of us, it was way longer than 90 days. Yeah, it was longer than three months, which is 90 days. So yeah, yeah. So it was over 90 days. They didn't tell me that I could actually have witnesses at the hearing. They just told me that they were going to take their statements and then bring the statements to the hearing. So he brought all his witnesses there and had the opportunity to question them when I didn't have anybody. He called on the witnesses of mine that he felt like he could really tear apart. So I was, I walked into this completely blindsided. There were kids from my high school talking about like my past sexual history and stuff like that. And I tried to appeal the decision after the fact because I was like, this is totally unfair. You let these people talk. And like, I understand that this woman is saying that she's not biased like she took a step back and she's like well I'm not going to consider what they said and I was like but you still heard it you're not going to unhear it and like you you can't once you hear something it's already subconsciously like in your mind exactly and the bias is there whether it's conscious or unconscious bias yeah so they ruled that it was consensual because it was my condom because my mom was trying to be a good mom and bought me a box of condoms when we were shopping that first day and I left it out in the room wow yeah so because it was my condom how was he supposed to know that you know I was drunk and whatever like that was consensual that was enough the fact that I had to go get the condom and give it to him and I was like it was out the whole time anyway like I have condoms everyone should have condoms it's college everyone has condoms (laughs) and if you don't then I don't know STD land but what's really shocking to me is that they actually let his character witnesses speak on your behavior because I remember with my Title IX investigation, my rapist's character witnesses tried to use my social media posts against me. And then my rapist from junior year, he actually contacted my rapist from sophomore year and tried to get him to speak on my sexual history about our encounters. And they, the hearing officer completely didn't even let them speak at the hearing or give their affidavits or their, you know. Wow, yeah. So... I just like completely blows my mind that they would let it happen at your hearing yeah but maybe some reforms uh, it's terrible maybe some reforms were made in those four years yeah my case was like the first case that or it was one of the first cases when they were like redoing all the rules basically so they were redoing the procedures they didn't know if I was supposed to be allowed to read my witness testimony or my like survivors testimony at the end Um, it was all over the place and that's what I said when I appealed I was like if you guys had everything put together and I knew what the process was going to be like this would have been so much easier for me I would have been so much more prepared like this was just completely unfair for me he had this crazy expensive lawyer who had like all this crap planned out I have found somebody pro bono who Mm -hmm. you know last minute like kind of threw some stuff together for me but yeah it was just that was like the worst part of my experience I think you brought a lawyer with you mm-hmm. is there a reason why you didn't want anyone from VPVA to be your advisor or did they not offer that at the time yet I had somebody as an advocate with me as well yeah. but once I found out that he was gonna have a lawyer present I was like oh my god I need somebody who like knows how to handle this okay. from that perspective so like instead of a support person you chose a lawyer I had both of them they yeah. let me have both yeah yeah okay all right so when they rule that it was consensual sex, does that mean that it's just thrown out and it's not considered in the as a report of sexual assault? I, I guess, assume. yeah, I guess so. Like, he really didn't have to deal with any repercussions after that, you know? They just dropped it from there. So it's tough, especially, like, working in my field, you know, and, like, understanding now, like, the legal side of it. And in New Jersey, it is illegal, or it's... It's not considered consensual sex if a person has been drinking or if they're under the influence of any kind of substance. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you're drinking, like what your blood alcohol level is. As long as you've had a drink or you've smoked a little bit of weed or whatever, you can no longer consent because everybody's level of intoxication is different, right? So my six-pack might get me totally wasted, whereas you drink a six-pack and you're completely fine. Yeah. Um, So it's like, I don't know. I really just think that it's unfortunate that there's such a lack of education about this because I feel like had somebody sat down with my senior high school class and said like, hey guys, 
if you really want to have sex with a person when you're drunk you'll really want to do it when you're sober too like just don't just wait Mm -hmm. I think that maybe this kid would have understood that and I don't necessarily think that he's like this malicious person or this like creep who like planned this like I really just think it was a lack of education yeah for sure yeah definitely did you go forward with any like criminal charges or no well I so I went I made the statement at special victims unit Mm -hmm. um and then from there they dropped it once he made his statement and was like yeah we had sex it was consensual they were like well she didn't have bruises she didn't have whatever we don't have a witness so that was that wow that's crazy yeah Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So then from there, how did that affect you, like, emotionally, socially, academically? Like, did it hit you yet? Were you seeing any effects of the trauma? My mental and physical health was, like, I don't even know where to begin. But I was staying up basically every night until like 6 30 in the morning I couldn't sleep in my dorm I wanted to stay in my dorm because I loved my roommate and I loved this space and it was beautiful and I didn't want this to like take away from you know this awesome place yeah Yeah. um but I couldn't be in the dorm at night like during the time that it happened I just couldn't do it so I would be out at the library like all night or just like walking around campus like I literally would walk around Livingston until 5 a.m and then come home and go to bed um yeah I started taking Xanax um it was prescribed to me like pretty soon after but like I felt like a zombie you know Mm -hmm. I was just always being triggered by something on campus always feeling I was like I was walking into somebody that knew because there was a very quick response to my story where like everybody from home and everybody at school picked a side And there was no in-between. It was either Summer's lying or he is. So it was tough because I felt like I was always walking around. Like being in New Brunswick still is a trigger for me because I feel like I walk around and I'm going to run into somebody who thinks that I'm a liar and who thinks that I made this into something that it's not. Um, It was kind of a nice thing because you know how everybody talks about how like when you go away to school, like you kind of like filter out your high school friends and stuff like that. Like I didn't have to wait for friends to like fall off it was like okay yeah I guess (laughs) here are the people that have my back I can figure this out nice and early that was like the only positive but yeah I had a lot of people just like cut me off or I cut them off because I was like if you're not going to support me through this like fuck you yeah academically I failed a class every semester while I was at Rutgers like there was always you know something where I was just like all right, I'm not going to this class because I have to go to VPVA and, like, I have to get counseling services right now. Or, you know, I would just wake up and I didn't want to go do anything. I didn't want to socialize with people. Um, I spent a lot of time, like, sleeping in my dorm during the day after staying up all night. So, yeah, it was, it was really hard. And then I was assaulted for the second time, like, three months later in December. So I was at a frat party, and this fraternity is no longer on campus, thank God, but I was at a fraternity party, and I think it's important to acknowledge that survivors have a tendency to, and this is in no way to, like, blame myself or anything, but Mm -hmm. survivors have a tendency, because they've been traumatized, to try and recreate the situation that they were in in a way that makes them feel like they have control. So that's why a lot of survivors develop these risky behaviors like binge drinking and, you know, going out and partying all the time. And that's what I was doing. So I found myself in this situation. I just remember like being in a room all of a sudden upstairs and somebody had closed the door and there were three or four guys in there. And without getting too like too far into detail, I just remember like all of a sudden there was a flashlight on me because someone was taking a video and the next day I was at the dining hall and my friends were joking around like oh Summer where were you last night and I was like trying to laugh it off and I'm like ha 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 I was getting Eiffel Towered (laughs) at a frat party and there were like three or four guys whatever and somebody said well like what was what were the other guys doing like recording it and all of a sudden I was like oh my god like yes somebody was recording that and I broke down that was when it hit me like I can't be laughing about this like I have to take this seriously I have to make sure that like this isn't going to get out there or whatever 
So I went to a friend of mine who actually helped me co-found Rutgers No More. And he was an RA at the time. And I called him. And I knew that he was a mandated reporter. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was like, Summer, like, don't tell me this unless you want me to call the police. But I was like, "Uh, I want you to call the police and my mom and everyone I care about and tell them, please, because, like, I can't bear to go through this again. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, putting my family through that and all that kind of stuff. So he made the phone call for me and everything like that. And then I had to go through everything all over again. But that one didn't go anywhere because I don't even know what those guys' faces look like. And the police were like, what do you want us to do? Go through an entire fraternity house's, like, cell phones? Like, you know, we can't look at 200 cell phones and try and find a video of you. Mm-hmm. It's just not realistic. And I understand that. But it's awful that, you know, something as traumatizing as that could happen and there's no evidence. So it's like poo-poo. Have fun yeah. dealing with it. <laughs> It's wild. So you said that the fraternity no longer exists. Does that have anything to do with what happened to you, or is that something completely different? They're no longer on campus. I don't remember what exactly it was that got them kicked off, but it didn't have to do with me. I said something to the school, and I let the school know that this had happened at the fraternity, but I don't know if they even followed up with it after the fact. Wow. Yeah. So sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. So, I would imagine that after that, things just started to get even worse, like, mentally for you. But you said something that you founded Rutgers No More, which is a student-run organization that addresses sexual assault um, and domestic violence, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about starting that and what you guys did as an organization and how that helped you? Yeah, absolutely. Um... So my friend Jake Camito had these posters made up. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the original No More posters from the Joyful Heart Foundation. Basically, there were all these posters that were created with celebrities on them. So it was, um, I think the poster that Jake had been using was Amy Poehler. And he hung it up in um, on his board as an RA. And it was Amy Poehler, and it said No More While She Was Drunk. So he kept looking at this poster every day, and he was like, okay, this is really powerful. Like, I love Amy Poehler. I keep looking at this. I look at this intense expression on her face and, like, this, you know, super powerful statement that's being made. And he thought, well, how much more powerful would it be to walk around Rutgers and see these posters with pictures of people that you know from campus? So he recreated the posters and he took the faces off and he just left the words. And what we would do is we we had this one tabling event one day where we stood in the Libby Circle over by the quads we brought these posters and we would take pictures of students in front of them so it looked like they were in the poster mm-hmm. and then we would edit it so it had the same coloring and everything and we would upload them online and ask students to do the same thing so really the idea was just to get a conversation started just like this podcast you know and get people to start sharing with the hashtag RU says no more um, to kind of get on board with it and we were just really trying to break down these stereotypes of saying you know yeah like well this girl was drunk or this couldn't happen to a man like what do you mean he got raped that doesn't happen which obviously is very untrue so yeah we started doing that and it really picked up like we were getting pictures at this one event but then certain clubs asked us to come and talk to them about the issue a little bit more it became a really amazing platform for me to do work not just like you know through social media and stuff like that but they were actually like the e-board when we started out they were all so supportive with me and everything I was going through they actually helped me try and get my rapist kicked out of the first the first rapist kicked out of his fraternity so Mm -hmm. he pledged I think he pledged that fall, the f- or like the fall after when I was mm-hmm. a sophomore. And I reached out to somebody in the fraternity because they were actually one of my witnesses in the case. And I was like, hey, I guess you didn't realize, but like one of your pledges is my attacker. Um, yeah. I don't think you really want that kind of person in your frat. So Rutgers No More really helped me like kind of have a conversation with them and try and get them to see, you know, why this is an issue, why they need to care about it. Um, he ended up giving the like transcript of our hearing to the whole fraternity. The whole fraternity read it and then came to a meeting and said, um, like, yeah, we don't believe you. Like, we read through it and we don't see anything wrong with what happened. Like, it seems consensual to yeah. us. I don't even know how he could even get the transcript of the hearing. I don't know. I That's, guess some... Like, how do they even allow that? 
right? Unless he recorded it himself. Yeah, isn't it confidential? It is confidential. They got somebody to take it down, and yeah, and then he just, like, handed it off to everybody. But that fraternity got kicked off campus because uh, they were drugging girls. So oh, great. Lovely. Hate to say I told you so, but <laughs> yeah. I fucking told you so. And that's kind of how, like, that was, like, a really frustrating experience for me. But to have all those people on the e-board, like, help me, you know have that conversation and try and make a difference that way was, you know, I think it was worth the effort. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. For sure. What are some other programs that you put on with Rockers No More or things that you did for survivors aside from the photo like campaign or social media campaign? Um, so we also did, well, the big culmination of that was cover the campus. So mm-hmm. um, we started it that spring and we would pick one day during no more week and we would cover the campus in these posters like overnight so while kids are sleeping they wake up they come out of their dorms and everywhere you look you see kids that you know on these posters that's cool um so we did the awareness event then um i also spoke with joe biden when he came to Rutgers in 2017 for the it's on us rally so somebody from Rutgers vpva reached out to me my counselor and she was like hey you know, would you be willing to share your story? And I jumped on it. I was so excited. Um, it was super nerve wracking. I think there was like 2000 people there or something like that. So I was shitting my pants on stage, (laughs) (laughs) but it was awesome. And it was so empowering to get to share my story in front of an audience that was so supportive, you know, Mm -hmm. that was awesome. And to get to say like, you know, I understand how other people might view my story and I understand where he's coming from where that girl was coming from but like that doesn't change the way that I feel about the situation and that's what matters what matters is that I woke up and I felt uncomfortable yeah it doesn't matter if he was trying to be malicious or not it still had a profound effect on me and a devastating effect on me I actually just wrote an op-ed for my class about this and how like there's just this like narrative that oh this poor kid he made a mistake but yeah you know people make mistakes totally understand that people do things without thinking or without realizing that they're even doing something wrong but you're still hurting an innocent person's life like you're harming someone else who didn't ask for this you know absolutely and so like yeah you can make a mistake but at some point you need to be held accountable for your actions mistake or not and so there's kind of this like gap and people end up like turning it around on the survivor and blaming them or shaming them because they're actually trying to do something about it yeah that's something that happened to them whether or not it was done maliciously like you said absolutely and it's it's interesting how it's gotten worse just because of the outcome of my school hearing and like the police hearing like these like people just keep jumping on that bandwagon and keep yeah. saying like because they see wow look how awful you made things for him when like it wasn't even a big deal yeah, yeah. exactly because they see that and that's why like it's so important for colleges and the administrations to take this seriously yeah like you can't say oh it was consensual sex because they used her condom that she already had like what like that yeah. makes no sense you can have consensual sex with someone using like your own condoms and then be raped by someone else that you don't want to have sex with you know what i mean it always makes me so angry but they really the colleges consistently drop the ball and they do it really for their reputation they don't want to report that oh they had this number of cases of sexual assault on their campus and i think it's the same thing for fraternities too they don't want to be they don't want to have to say like this is a member this is somebody that we brought on board that we like trusted to represent our organization and they're out there hurting people yeah and it's also just like you said that the frat that your first rapist the kid from your high school like that was shut down because they were drugging girls it's also just like embedded in the culture and they don't want to expose that because then they can't do it even more yeah absolutely get caught it's just so crazy Anyway, so Rutgers No More was obviously a huge part of, like, your healing process and allowed you to also, like, do good for the community and for other survivors as well. But is there anything else that you turned to or anything else that you did to help you heal and, and move forward? Absolutely. And I think I was fortunate enough that I had that mindset from the beginning, like, if this is going to happen to me, I'm going to turn it into something, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want this experience to, like, 
you know, not that it happened for a reason. I think when people say like, oh, everything happens for a reason, Mm -hmm. you're perpetuating this myth that like rape has to happen to some yeah, people exactly. to to yeah. put them in alignment and yeah <laughs> and, it, and it shouldn't happen to anybody but because it happened to me I had this mindset like all right I have to do something about it whether it's like helping other people you know sharing mm-hmm. my story so I actually went away it got really hard for me to be at Rutgers it was just really triggering like I said walking around and like being afraid that I was going to run into somebody who had this opinion of the situation I was like at a tailgate one time I walked into a tailgate and I didn't realize that it was that fraternity and the guys literally they kicked me out they followed me outside and they lined up on the street and started screaming like you're a liar that's terrible yeah it was awful like I cannot believe that people think that that's okay to do but I was like I have to get out of here I don't want to be in this city anymore for me Rutgers was just like a huge party school and I was trying to look for some way to kind of get out and like recreate a new experience for myself even though I had really not wanted to let this take away from my Rutgers experience eventually I got to a point where I was like you know what I just have to move on and stop trying to make it work so I went on a trip and I went to California my brother was looking at schools out there and I was like so all about it I was like ready to move out there (laughs) I should have but I went to this tarot reader and I had bought a tarot deck my senior year of high school and I played around with it a little bit and then I just like threw it in a drawer and forgot about it and I went and I got a reading from this woman and I was asking her what I should do if I should be leaving Rutgers if I should be staying and trying to make things work whatever and she looked at me and she was like why aren't you reading tarot for people and I was like so taken aback and Mm -hmm. she's like yeah like I can just tell that you have this innate like intuition and this is something that you're supposed to be doing so I remember she pulled the tower the tower card for me and the lesson of the tarot the tower card it is like the most uncomfortable experience in the deck but all these cards have all these life lessons right and I think they teach us how to grow through what we go through so every life experience there's something positive on the other end of it Mm -hmm. so this card the tower is an experience where everything is just like totally burnt down unexpectedly like you built this life you built this thing and it comes crumbling down and you can't do anything about it it's a really intense experience this was obviously you know building this life at Rutgers and then having it come down but what she said to me was like yes this tower is coming down there's nothing you can do about it and there's going to be this pile of ashes but like once you clear those ashes away you have space for something completely new you have space to build something beautiful and totally separate from everything that you were connected to in the past and that was like so moving to me to think that like yes this thing happened and it destroyed everything but now I just have space for something new so I went home I ended up taking a class with this woman called Lindsay Mack so I took a course for like eight weeks in tarot I ended up taking the class with her like three different times I took all these other courses and I started reading tarot for people Um, especially for survivors just to kind of help them see if there's you know some positive way to grow through this experience or just to find healing a lot of the cards are just a reminder sometimes that like it's okay to slow down and take time to yourself and take a bath and like tune out the rest of the world you know it's all these little life lessons that are so important for us to learn so that's been super helpful and then I also became a certified Reiki healer so Reiki is a form of energy healing with your hands the idea is that everything in the universe has energy and I'm not taking my own energy and giving it to people but I'm taking it from outside I'm taking this like it's called universal love energy is what Reiki translates into Mm -hmm. which I love Mm -hmm. um so you're taking energy and you're giving it to a like you're directing it into the part of a person's body where they need the most love and I think that's so cool and when I really cool and when I work with survivors you can feel the negative energy where these things happened but I can feel myself like clearing it away and then I can feel their bodies like literally soaking up this love afterwards and that's so powerful to be able to like physically and emotionally help people is really awesome yeah you should be really proud of yourself that's really cool and you just started or did you just start your business mixed spirituality so it was called mixed spiritual healing for a Mm -hmm. while um when I first launched it in 
2017 yeah two years ago um and i just recently like this past month i've been switching over i bought the business now but i bought it as an spirituality because i felt like i wanted to help survivors but i also didn't want other people to feel like they had to have been through a certain amount of trauma mm -hmm. to come to me i didn't yeah. want it to yeah. have to be focused on healing you know that's really cool thank you so if you guys want to follow me and find out a little bit more about what I do, um, my Instagram name right now is still Mixed Spiritual Healing, and my website is also mixedspiritualhealing.com, but I will be changing that hopefully soon. We could definitely post about it too on yeah. our Instagram when everything is all changed over, but yeah, definitely follow her there. I want to move on and talk about your work with YWCA Northern New Jersey Healing Space. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the organization as a whole and then what you do specifically um, in your role as a sexual violence prevention specialist? Yes, the YWCA is affiliated with Bergen County Sexual Violence Resource Center. So every county in New Jersey and then Rutgers has, you know, this crisis center for mm -hmm. people. It's a resource center. They provide counseling, all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, so we are Bergen County's Resource Center. We provide free individual and group counseling to survivors, and we are actually the only center in New Jersey that has a male survivors group, which is really huge. Um, That's great. Yeah, it's awesome. So we provide these counseling services. We also like table at different events throughout the community. So like this past Sunday, there was a walk for people who had died from opioid addiction. And I went there because we know that survivors can sometimes develop addictions as a way yes, to cope. So mm -hmm. going to all these different places where we think we might be able to reach out to survivors, trying to provide them with the resources there and we also do prevention work because the idea is that, you know, hopefully we can reach people and educate them about their bodies and consent and autonomy and like healthy relationships and all this kind of stuff before they get to a point where they're perpetuating violence. So um, that's what I do. I am the prevention and education specialist. Um, well, we have a team of them, but I'm one of them. And so what I do is I go to different schools. I've been in and out of Bergen Community College um, teaching consent workshops. It's really powerful um, getting to work with people and getting to share my story. Sometimes I do share my story when I work in workshops. And I'll tell kids, you know, like this is, this is consent. Um, this is how not respecting consent has affected me. And I've had people come up to me after these presentations and be like, you know, I thought this was total bullshit when it started, but like seeing somebody, seeing how this has affected you just because some dude like couldn't respect that you were too drunk and couldn't wait, like that is so powerful. And I'm totally gonna think differently about the way that I have sex with girls or the way that I treat people um, in the future. So it's been so powerful to see that change like upfront, you know, and what a co simple conversa conversation, excuse me, can do to somebody's like mindset and values and all that kind of stuff yeah exactly and that's the same intention that we have here with survivor sisters is to actually hear people's real stories you know sometimes like when things when you hear about things in like a statistic or some frigid you know news story where it seems so distant and far away from you especially in our culture where we're always reporting on the bad things the violent things you know mass shootings um the me too movement like all this stuff it's so ingrained in our society and it's so I guess repeated in a way and we become numb or like desensitized to it and then when you actually sit down and you talk to someone or hear someone's story like like yours or like Adriana's it kind of puts a voice or a, well for us a voice but or a face <laughs> to um to stories like this and that these are real things that happen to real people and this is how it affects them and we need to start doing something about it because they're being failed. They're being failed by colleges, administrations, the criminal justice system, by just society in general. No, I think that's, it's so amazing that you guys are doing this and giving people that voice. I totally agree that like, yeah, having that personal connection and being able to see how it affects people just makes a world of, di of difference because then you can empathize with the issue. And I also think, I just think that people don't realize how common it is you know that's such a misconception it's one in four women and one in six men 
you can look around a room and see other people that have been through the same experience you know like you can always be in a room and know that somebody has experienced some sort of sexual violence and I think people also don't realize that the umbrella of sexual violence is so big and so broad so it doesn't just include sexual assault which is like the most awful form of sexual violence but it also includes sexual harassment it it's things like cat calling on the street you know that's still a form of violence that's still making somebody uncomfortable making them feel unsafe in their mm -hmm. space and in their own body um and it's stuff that people have to deal with all the time and i think when we can look at the bigger picture and look at that culture and all of the different ways that this issue like pervades our space then it's a lot easier to say like oh crap wow this is an issue that we need to be dealing with because it's affecting us in so many different aspects you know not yeah. just like the the physically violent but also like yeah. somebody just, groping you at a party yeah it's just like so embedded in our society it's directly linked to like gender-based oppression and that's as we can see then every like facet of our existence basically in the workplace in school in in whatever yeah in your relationships with other people and and it just kind of permeates and then that also ties into all other forms of oppression as well so that's why you know like the lgbtq community is more at risk of being sexually assaulted or harassed yeah or uh, yeah. women of color um 47 mm percent -hmm. of transgender people will be sexually assaulted yeah that's crazy yeah it's just I feel like we just need to do better as a society and I hope that by sharing stories of survivors that we're able to at least, you know, make a difference or show one person that this is something that they need to take seriously and they need to do something about it. Yeah. Um also just like platforms like this, like Survivor Sisters, like having these necessary conversations is actually from what I see like here at Rutgers, like so many people that I don't I don't even know have come up to me and like oh you're from survivor sisters like and they'll share my their story right then and there with me and like it's just like it's an amazing feeling to have someone trust you with their story to have someone be able mm -hmm. to use their voice and to open up so like when people come up to you and they share their stories could it be triggering for you how do you go about it um and just you know, what goes through your mind, having that personal relationship with, like, a stranger or, like, someone that you know. Yeah. I think that's why I originally made the shift from Rutgers No More to mixed spirituality, um, because when I was posting about my own story and sharing, like, I would have hundreds of Facebook messages from people, like, people from high school, people that I didn't wow. know, but saying, like, this happened to me, too. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And it was so beautiful such an amazing experience and I'm so grateful that these people felt yeah you know comfortable being vulnerable with me and brave enough to share their stories but it was a little triggering so at that point in time I knew that I needed to have like a more spiritual healing practice than trying to fight on the political end mm -hmm. um now that I'm back in like social work and social justice it's I think I'm at a much stronger standpoint now and it's not as triggering as it used to be yeah. it's it's still tough um we definitely see a lot of all kinds of different sexual violence you know um i work with a lot of groups of like at-risk youth and stuff like that so pre doing prevention groups there sometimes we find out that you know these people have gone through experiences before we can even teach them about it which is really tough yeah. but i don't know i think it's it's still a motivator for me like when I have these people come forward it's I can leave work every day when that happens and know that I directly impacted somebody's life and their experience and that is so cool to me yeah. like the Amazing. best one of the best experiences that I've had at Healing Space so far was the first time that I was sent out as an advocate for the SART team mm -hmm. so I went to a hospital with a girl while she was getting a kit collected and I realized while I was there that it was the four-year anniversary of my kit collection and my assault. Wow. And it, at first, I was, like, ready to lose it. I was, like, trying not to cry in front of this girl, you know, trying to be strong for her. And then I, like, realized where I was and how I was sitting on the other end of this situation. And 
I felt so amazing. Like, I went from feeling like absolutely nothing, like this small, like helpless little creature to somebody who is now, you know, providing so much support for somebody else in a time of crisis. Yeah. And that was just, yeah, really empowering and awesome. Yeah, it sounds awesome. The situations are also like heartbreaking because like when people come up to you, like you don't want to hear that people have been through what you've been through Mm because I know, I know that like I wouldn't want anyone to go through what I've been through. So when people come up to me and like they confide in me, of course, I'm so supportive, but then hearing they're going through this, it's just like terrible thinking, oh my God, like someone else, like when is this going to end? But it's like so amazing how like you actually are able to like see how far you've come in that situation and in your whole entire work. Yes, I agree. I think it's really amazing what you're doing with Healing Space and with your business and you're really making an impact and it's cool to see you turn something that was so traumatic or is so traumatic and into something positive and something that can help other people while you also heal yourself and so that's really cool. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Healing Space. Do they offer like any sort of legal services for survivors or anything in that realm? Yes, we do have a case management program and we have legal advocacy. So we will send somebody, if you're a resident of Bergen County, you can come in and like sit down with the case manager and have somebody like basically walk you through any process that you need to deal with in the terms of like, you know, this whole situation. So whether it's yeah, going to the hospital, going to meet with a lawyer, going to meet with the prosecutor's office, all that kind of stuff. We have people on hand who are like trained in, you know, finding those resources and stuff like that. So that's great. Yeah, it's super helpful. And it's it's unfortunate that not a lot of people know that we have this service and they don't know that they can get these free counseling services in their own counties, but it is available to survivors. And it can be super helpful when you're dealing with this you know trauma takes years to unpack and the healing process is not linear it's always going on you know Mm -hmm. um I'm constantly finding myself in periods of time where I'm like oh I gotta sit through and work through something some other aspect of this you know whether it's like the social repercussions or yeah the academic repercussions like all these different things can you talk a little bit more about that because I know you've obviously come a long way and you're doing such amazing work but it's it does still affect you and and it affects many survivors for the the rest of their lives really so how do you like get through that and how do you process that even now yeah it's tough I mean I was really nervous coming here today because I know that there are still people that are going to see that I did this podcast and they're going to be pissed off and that's so hard to deal with that like this is four years later I feel like I've come so far and I'm really confident in who I am now I feel like at peace with myself again, but other people are still not at peace with this situation and they can't just accept that this has been my reality for four years. But I think too that people are starting to realize because I'm still doing this work and I'm still not shutting up about it that like, wow, this did have a profound effect on her. I've had conversations, like I said, like I spoke to that, you know, the girl that was involved in the whole situation. We've had a few conversations about what transpired and stuff like that and there's still like this tension with so many people at home like I can still feel them like I don't really want to get involved I just really don't you know want to have to pick a side when it comes to that it's like all right I know who's my real friends you know I know who's there for me they're unintentionally picking a side yeah Yeah, staying neutral is bullshit (laughs) absolutely (laughs) I um it was like really yeah frustrating to see like still sometimes you know I have friends that like they'll text me and they'll be like hey Summer like I know I told you that I was having a party this weekend but like just so you know so and so is going to be there um I don't know if you want to come anymore and I'm like no I don't want to fucking come anymore like and I don't want to hang out with you ever now because like why are you okay being in a space with somebody that you know hurt me this way and why are you okay asking me to be in that position you know but I don't think that people realize how profound trauma is and what an effect it has on your brain Mm -hmm. and your nervous system and all these other things so I think like I don't know hopefully as people start to realize what an effect it has on people they'll start to understand why I responded in the way I did and why I had to cut people out and you know 
why I refuse to stay silent on this issue. Yeah, that's really important. Like, you talk about how your relationships with people have changed and, like, how you, like, have had to drop people from this experience because, like, I've had to drop people too. And what stuck out to me the most is that there were some people who I understood, like, I always said I understood that rapists have families, rapists have friends, and they have people who love them because they didn't do these things to them, but they're still capable of doing these things to other people. But what I would never really could grasp is how people just didn't understand the magnitude of rape and sexual assault and how they almost didn't make enough of a big deal about it as it should have been made. Like, I have people in my lives who know that these boys have raped me, yet they still maintained either relationships or a kind of neutral stance about the situations. And with things like rape, I just don't think neutral is existent when dealing with cases of rape. Because you have people who say they believe you, but that they will not want to be involved in the situation, but at the same time, not being involved in maintaining relationships or maintaining acquaintanceships with your rapist. I understand exactly what you're saying. And I think that, like, I don't know, it's, it's just invalidating. It's so invalidating to have somebody say, like, you know, I believe you, but, like, it's just not that big of a deal. Like, yes, it's a huge deal. Yeah, like, my whole life is completely twisted upside down. My brain chemistry is completely different, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, when survivors go through trauma, when anybody goes through trauma, like, your brain's alarm system goes off, right? The amygdala sets off. You can't process anything. All your body's thinking about is keeping you safe. And when you go through trauma, your brain doesn't know how to turn off that alarm system. So you're walking through life on edge constantly and it's not your own fault it's not like you're trying to focus on like keeping yourself safe or whatever but your brain is just like oh my god that happened out of nowhere like i have to be on alert all the time now and i don't think people understand that like they they think that like you know triggers are like not a big deal and they don't understand but you guys know that episode of spongebob (laughs) where he's at the restaurant and he is like there's like all the spongebobs running around in his brain and they have like a filing system yeah and he's like you know what's your name and they can't find spongebob's name mm-hmm. so they're all running around like crazy like that's what happens when you're you go through trauma like your brain takes all these aspects of what happened and it goes crazy and it throws them into all these random filing cabinets and whatever so then like the little spongebobs are walking around in your brain and you like are having a normal day and all of a sudden he opens a file and finds like you know in like the smell department like holy shit here's the rape and all of a sudden you're freaking out because you smelled like the same cup of coffee that you had that day or something like that Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and people just don't understand how how the brain responds and so they think that like you know survivors are making a big deal out of nothing and that's totally invalidating yeah Yeah, they really don't and actually in an upcoming episode we're going to be interviewing a licensed clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Barnard, who's going to be talking all about trauma, how it changes your brain chemistry, how it affects survivors' daily lives and daily functioning, the different, you know, mental health effects and illnesses that survivors are at risk of developing as a result of trauma. And also something that I'm excited about is that we're going to be talking about how in a traumatic experience, a lot of time everyone's heard of like the fight or flight response but what they don't really talk about is almost like this fright response where you freeze Mm -hmm. up and that's what happens to a lot of survivors and people then use the fact that they freeze up or they didn't do anything about or they kind of succumb to what was happening to them because they felt hopeless or felt like they couldn't do anything as a excuse that they gave their consent because they didn't actively try to fight someone off them or try to run away or something like that So that's going to be coming up, so definitely be on the lookout for that because I think it's going to be really informative for people who don't understand, like, how, like, it's so much more than just something that happens to you. It it stays with you mentally and emotionally, like you said, for the rest of your life, even as you have healed 
so much it's still always going to be there and something that affects you in your everyday life and we hope that we can spread awareness about mm-hmm. how trauma affects survivors both right after they experience trauma and in the long haul and perhaps you know give them resources or mechanisms that they can use to cope yeah. with that trauma that's so cool and that's so so important not only because other people need to understand how survivors think so that they can empathize with them and like actually be a part of stopping this issue but it's so important to educate survivors too on why they might be acting the way they are and like validating them and how they Mm -hmm. act you know like that's the first thing that we do when we get a call on the crisis hotline like you know we just let people know that whatever you're feeling right now is okay um there's a book called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk and it is one of my favorite books that I've ever read. My trauma therapist recommended it to me, but it explains how trauma affects your body. And I keep going through this book and finding different things. And I'm like, oh, thank God I understand why I act this way when something happens, mm-hmm. or, you know, why I freeze up or why, you know, this thing is so triggering for me or why maybe I didn't react emotionally to something when everybody expected me to. It's really helpful it's been awesome like looking through that book and being able to make sense of everything that's happening Mm -hmm. so I think it's really cool that you guys are giving survivors that opportunity too exactly it's just important I mean in all facets of life to to normalize and destigmatize mental health because it is so stigmatized in our our society today and people especially if they've never experienced it before like if they've never been depressed or they've never had you know an eating disorder they never had PTSD like they don't understand how it works and it's so easy for them to be like oh well just get out of bed today you know or Mm -hmm. you know just eat something and and that's not how it works and so it's really important especially for sexual assault survivors because they are so at risk of developing mental illness after they experience trauma to just validate their experiences and to show them that this is normal and this is okay and that they're not alone that people go through this and that they can get better like this is not the end-all be-all for them because also you know another thing is is suicide attempts and suicide ideation among survivors and among people who experience trauma in general mm-hmm. is so much higher than um, obviously people who have not and so that's another huge component and it's it's a direct I think I think a direct result of the stigma that exists in our society and that people don't accept survivors and what they're going through but also that survivors don't accept it themselves and they feel like they can't get help or that it's just, it's all on them and it's not. And there's people that they can go to for help. There's things that they can do. There's resources that they can utilize um, to better themselves and to just, you know, take it day by day. Yeah. And they're absolutely not alone in any aspect of this. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for just like creating this platform and giving me an opportunity to share my story. I get to do it all the time at work, which is so cool. But the fact that you guys are giving like specifically campus sexual assault survivors a platform is so inspiring. I think it's like, this is the worst place to, I mean, not to invalidate anybody else's experience, Mm -hmm. but I could not imagine like this being, you know, any worse than than this. Honestly, being in college, showing up at this new place and is trying to like figure out adulthood while also figuring out this huge trauma was just you know it's mm-hmm. it's awful that people have to do that so I think it's really amazing that you guys are doing this work and yeah I, I hope that you guys get to like meet with some really cool people and mm-hmm. you know get some awesome information out well, there we for already people. have yeah. <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. coming on and sharing your story and sharing all about the work that you do with healing space and with mixed spirituality and Rutgers no more you're really inspiring i know to me and and to adriana as well and we hope that summer's story inspires all the people who are listening right now she's really such an amazing person and she has done so much for survivors you should be really proud of yourself because it's just so cool all the things that you've done and you've just come so far and i know i'm proud of you or we're proud of you yeah i'm proud of you thank you guys so with that i guess this is the end of episode two summer's story Thank you so much for everyone for listening, and we are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, YouTube, SoundCloud, like anywhere you can find a podcast.
podcast, definitely subscribe, follow, leave a review, and give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed. You can follow us at Survivor Sisters on Instagram, and you can shop our merch um, at teespring.com slash stores slash survivor dash sisters. All of the proceeds for our merch will be donated to nonprofit organizations that are directly combating sexual assault on college campuses. And you guys can check out all of the work that I do for survivors and just for people in general um, on mixed spiritual healing as of right now. That's where, yeah, that's my Instagram handle. Yes, we'll keep as you updated. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely link everything for summer's work and her accounts and like all that stuff for social media and also healing space on facebook and absolutely yes you guys can follow um ywca northern new jersey um healing space has its own page too um and we're always sharing what we're doing in terms of like community outreach and prevention work we share articles about different groups and also like other advocacy work that people are doing too so i know we shared your first yes. episode last thank week you so much. <laughs> absolutely you. but yeah you guys can follow us there for any information if you want yes and if you want to come on and share your story definitely reach out to us if you just want to share your story with us via instagram that's totally fine too we want to thank everyone who has come forward reach out to us on instagram thank you for trusting us with your stories and for sharing with us we want to do anything that we can to help you and support you in whatever way so please feel free to reach out to us no matter what and yeah with that we will not be silenced